Hello, my name is Victor, and you're listening to the USC Christian Challenge Podcast. Where are you finding your values? What about your security, your purpose, your joy? Well, all of it comes down to identity, and that's a very highly debated subject in many areas today, and for good reason. Because where we place our identity ultimately motivates us and informs all of our decisions. Today, Ian concludes our worldview series by explaining that Jesus changes everything about who we are. Hello, everyone. I am so happy that you guys chose to get some feedback. Um, So glad you guys chose to spend your Thursday night here with us. Um, In case you didn't know me, my name is Ian Fitzpatrick. Um, and I'll be continuing our series on worldview that Neil started a couple weeks ago. Um, he shared with us about truth and that um, you know, when our thoughts or our opinions or our beliefs, um, they're not in line with truth, we tend to run into reality. And that's not fun. <laughs> that was a good message from him. And then last week, Eric shared with us about a worldview and looking at um, who's on the throne of your life. And that although we may think we know ourselves the best, in reality, God made us, and he knows us the best. And so he's the one that we should be listening to for decisions. And tonight I will continue by speaking about identity and how a proper view of um, identity will really have a positive impact on just your feelings, your attitudes, your actions, your decisions, and it will really lead to the life that you were designed and made to have. Um, so with that, if... Any of you don't know me, um, I'm looking out, I, I know most of you, but there's a couple people I haven't met. A little bit of background about myself, um, I'm from Sacramento, California. Yeah, like, yeah let's go, Devin. Um, Sacramento, <laughs> and Chris. Um, <laughs> uh, I studied architecture at USC, and I graduated wow. about four years ago. Let's go a couple architects in the rooms. I'm surprised you have the energy to even yell. You're not, like, fighting to stay awake right now. Um, and I've worked at an architecture firm over in Clover City for the last four years and been on part-time staff for four years. And right now I live just outside of Clover City, kind of on this side. And I feel no shame in sharing a picture because it was in the last year. But about 10 months ago, I got married to Jenna Fitzpatrick, the woman of my dreams. She is sitting right over here. Ladies, I would recommend getting some time with Jenna. She's got a lot of good things to share. Guys, some time in a group setting. Not too much, or you're going to hear from me. Um, but with that, I wanted to start by sharing a story, um, a story from high school. So, and it is about a girl. It's about a different girl, though. And if I'm honest, when I was in high school, I feel like one of two things tended to monopolize my mind. It was either girls or girls. Um, <laughs> and, you know, high school was a little different than middle school. You know, in middle school, I feel like, you know, me and my friends, we'd talk about girls, but no one really did anything about it. But in high school, all of a sudden, it was like, whoa, my friend, like, he has a girlfriend. I was like, dang. I was like, how can, like, how can I get in on that, you know? Like, <laughs> like that, that looks sweet. Um, and, you know, of course, there was a girl that I had a crush on, and you know, it was the fall semester of my freshman year, and... There's a dance coming up, and I was like, sweet, perfect opportunity. I'll just ask her to dance, and I'll, I'll go on from there. It'll be good. Um, and that was, like, that was like really important to me. And you know, I felt like if I had a girlfriend, gosh, I'd be, I'd be valuable. You know, I'd be like worthwhile. Um, however, gosh, just, um, through my really strategic actions and words, I landed myself directly into the friend zone. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that in high school. 
is a bad place to be if you're trying to date somebody. Um, but not only so, but she started dating somebody else not too long before the dance. And it was a senior. And I was a freshman, she was a freshman, and I was like, okay, how can I even compete with that? You know, like, that's like, he's older than me, he's taller than me, you know, more mature, like, gosh, how can I, you know, I'm just, I'm incapable, I am not, you know, I'm not enough in comparison to him. Um, and so my very intelligent, um, mature mind said, you know what, I think I can feel good about myself if I just go out and ask the most beautiful girl I know to dance. Then maybe, you know, maybe I'll, I'll feel adequate. And that's what I did, you know, I went out and I asked her to dance, she said yes. And you know, for, there was a little bit of time where I kinda, kinda put some swagger in my step, you know, just a little bit. Um, and my friends would be like, you're taking, who are taking to the dance? And I'd be like, oh, so and so, and they'd be like, you're taking who to the dance? And I'd be like, I know. Um, but you know, it, she wasn't who I wanted to date, you know, and that excitement, that energy really didn't last all that long. Um, and, um, to make matters worse, this is a wild story. The, the girl I actually wanted to go with, she ended up breaking up with her boyfriend a couple weeks before the dance. It was kind of, it was kind of a chill, you know, thing they were like, everyone else already has dates, we'll just go with each other, you know, just as friends, you know. Um, what I started to notice is after that happened, that same senior guy, he started to spend a lot of time with the girl I was taking to the dance. And I was like, I was like, dude, I am like, we're going to the dance together. And they kept hanging out, and there was a, a time, it was like a, probably a week before the dance came up, and he was like, hey Ian, like, what if we like switch dates? You know, like you're like, like, you know, we've been hanging out and we kind of like each other, and I'm just like, dude, are you serious? And I was just feeling like, man, like you've already defeated me. Like, how could you do any more? I was like, oh, like my thought of myself just became so low. And you know, you may think, well, it's a good opportunity, then you can switch and go through what you actually want to. But I was like, no. I was like, I'm going to make your night as miserable as possible. I was like, you know what? You can dance with her once. I put my foot down and, you know, and let me tell you, the dance rolled around and um, it wasn't fun. I did not have a good time. Um, I was worried about making his night as uncomfortable and not fun as possible. And it was just a mess. And I, I look back on that ridiculous story and I think, well, thank goodness I'm not in high school anymore. Um, <laughs> but like, 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 what happened? You know, like, did I get to go to the dance that I wanted to go with? No. Did I have a good time? No. Did I feel bad about myself and inadequate pretty much the whole time? Yeah, I did. Was I manipulative? Definitely. Did I view and use women as an object for my own gain? I did. Yeah, that's pretty terrible. Did I love my enemy well? No. <laughs> I did not love that senior guy very well at all. In the moment, did all of my decisions make sense to me? They did. How could that be so? How could, <laughs> how could that happen? You know, at the time, it was, you know, it sounds kind of silly saying that out loud, but at the time, what girls thought about me or really kind of what this one in particular girl thought about me, that was the most important thing to me. If I could get this girl to go on a date with me, then, then, then I would feel secure about myself, about who I was. If I could get that really beautiful girl to go to the dance with me to make up for it, you know, then maybe then I'd, I'd feel valuable. You know, like, isn't it, isn't, isn't it my purpose, you know, to date someone and eventually go on to marry them? Like, isn't that kind of what 
like one of the things we do in life, you know? Or gosh, if, if only I had someone who would say in a romantic way, I love you, maybe then I would find joy. To sum it up, I placed my identity in what girls thought about me. You know, identity, what does that mean? It's, it's a word that we kind of, I think, toss around a lot, um, sort of a hot topic. Um, as, as I began to think about it and um, pray about it and ponder it, I came to the conclusion that identity is who you are at the core of your being. Identity is who you are at the core of your being. And if you think, okay, that seems pretty vague, I'm like, I agree, I think that's kind of vague. Um, so one thing that's helped me to think about that is to ask a couple questions. Where do you get your value from? Where do you get your security from? Where do you get your purpose? And where do you get your joy? Value, security, purpose, and joy. Um, who you see yourself to be, or your identity, who, you're see, who you see yourself to be has a direct impact on where you get your value, security, purpose, and joy. Now up here, I just made a quick list of things that, um, that you could put your identity in. These are things that I'm tempted to put my identity in. Um, I, I'm gonna kinda call these inferior identities. Um, your grades, your job, your success, your righteousness, your childhood, your income, your car, your home, where you live, your relationship status, how good of a parent or how good of a child you are, what your parents or what your children think about you, what your friends or your peers think about you, and what your boss or an authority figure may think about you. Um, you know, in general, I say it's kind of easy to put these into a couple different categories, one being the things that you do, one being the things that you possess, things you own, and the last being what, uh, what other people think about you. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's some problems with, with some of these identities, really them all as a whole, and that's that there tends to be two general conclusions that we can get from these. And the first is that we can look at one of those things, like you could look at your job, you could look at your grades, and you could think, hey, I'm pretty good in this area. Like, yeah, I think I'm good here. Or you could look at one that you're putting in your identity and you go, oh, wow, you know, I fall really short in this area. You know, there are so many others that are better than me, I could do so much better. And both of these conclusions, whether or not you're doing good or whether or not you don't think you're doing good, I think they both lead to some problems. If you, if you look at one of them and say, or think, you know, yeah, I'm doing good. I think that can lead to pride and arrogance. Uh, if your identity is in your achievements, you'll always be tempted to think that you're better than everyone else. I feel like we've all know that guy or had that conversation with that person who just gives this vibe that like they've never been wrong about anything. <laughs> um, you know, let's say that you, um, you're placing your identity in um, one of those inferior identities, one of your achievements. Um, and you know, when you get that achievement, you know, like when I asked that girl to the dance, she said yes. You know, there's like an excitement. There's like a little bit of a high that comes from that. And I feel like we all know this on the inside when we think about it, but that high does not last very long. And it's not very long before we are uh, just wanting a little bit more or just thinking we need to be 
a little bit more. You know, it wasn't quite everything that we made it out to be. Um, and I think the last thing is that if you're placing your identity in your achievements and you feel like you're doing a good job, anything you achieve in this life, you can also lose in this life. And so there's a constant fear of, oh man, I've got this, but I have to do everything I can to let it go, or to keep it, letting go of it. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, let's say you're placing yourself in your identity and you feel like you're falling short. You know, a test didn't go the way you wanted, or that internship, they like didn't even email you back. Um, sometimes I feel like the, the problem with falling short is that, at least for me, like I can do nine things out of 10 really, really well. But that one thing that I don't do well, it sits with me. Like that's the thing I remember. That's the thing that I think about and just drags me down. Or I think even worse than that, sometimes you know, someone can say something to you that's really unkind or really hurtful, and it'll take like 100 encouragements <laughs> to make up for that like one bad thing that somebody said about you. Um, and so I think what happens in our, in our heads is that when our identity is in our achievement and we're falling short, our mind just pours in lie after lie after lie to us. And I made a quick little diagram of I feel like what's happening here, and I'll start by using the example that um, I shared from myself. Um, you know, I am, insert, inferior identity. So I was what girls thought about me. That was kind of my identity. Um, and, you know, based on how that was going, you know, I am what girls think about me. Therefore, I was alone. Or therefore, I was unloved. Or therefore, I was unwanted. You know, and this can really happen in any of those different inferior identities that I shared earlier, you know. You get a bad grade in one class, therefore, I am a failure. Therefore, I am incapable. You know, maybe your identity is in popularity and you kind of break a friendship with this person. All of a sudden, I am undesirable or not worth it. Um, you know, your identity maybe is in your career and you don't get this job that you really wanted. All of a sudden, you are underqualified. You are uh, insecure. Or, you know, maybe you don't get the approval from an authority figure you look up to. Um, and all of a sudden, you are, the conclusion you come to is not, you are embarrassed or you are unwanted. Um, I think these lies, I mean, there's tons of different things we can come up here into the kind of false conclusion category, but I think they can really be summed up and these lies are trying to get you to believe that you are not enough. And it doesn't stop there. I think it's trying to get you to believe that you are not enough, but you should be. And in case some of you tuned out and are just looking up at the slide, this is a lie. <laughs> you are not enough, but you should be is a lie that sin is trying to get you to believe. And you know, I think it's a really strategic one because you know, you are not enough, that hits you when you're down. That makes you feel like, oh gosh, um, I'm not good about myself. But then the, but you should be, that keeps you going, that keeps you trying, that keeps you thinking, I need to do something more. We're gonna take a quick look at scripture and see what Paul says about this in his letter to the church in Rome. Um, we're gonna start off in Romans 6, chapter six. Um, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer 
be slaves to sin. A couple of the uh, phrases that stand out to me here are ruled by sin and slaves to sin. You know, what do those mean? Um, I think by the context here when it's talking about, you know, that our old self, it kind of identifies for us that this is something that either was true about each and every one of us in here, or for some of us, it's still true that we are still a slave to sin. Um, And I think this is sort of describing exactly what my story kind of told, that sin really over-promises, but under-delivers. You know, it tells you, you can be enough, you can do this, you have to um, do all these things, and then once you get it, it's not there, you know. They tell you that then you'll feel, or sin tells you that then you'll feel valuable, then you'll feel secure, then you'll feel purposeful or joyful. And then it becomes easy to be a slave to getting that internship, because then you'll feel like you're enough, or a slave to having a big enough bank account or marrying the right person, and then you'll feel secure. You can be a slave to, I need to get an A on this final, or I need to just hear my parents say, I'm proud of you, and then you'd feel valuable. A slave to, if I volunteer, if I give enough, or if I get the dream job that I have, then I'd feel purposeful. Or a slave to, um, you know, you just want your friend or significant other to appreciate you. Um, Or you want to spend the whole weekend doing your favorite hobby. Maybe then you'd feel joyful. You know, the things I just listed, like, those were all good things. Like, I hope you get that job. Like, hope you get the internship, get the A, you know, marry the person God wants you to marry, et cetera. Um, and, you know, sometimes, kind of like we saw in my, a little bit in my story, that, you know, sin can, and this lie that you're not enough, but you should be, can really lead you to do harmful, like, inherently bad things, like how manipulative I was and how I was viewing the girls that I was pursuing. Um, but honestly, a lot of the time, this lie and sin can quietly slowly make you a slave doing ordinary good things. And you can become a slave and you may not even know it. Living out of an inferior identity, um, you know, as we kind of saw from my story, will heavily impact your feelings, attitude, actions, and decisions. Um, And, you know, whether it was how I was manipulating, um, how I viewed and treated uh, girls like an object, how it led me to feel totally insecure and inadequate and sometimes even hopeless. Um, it like totally made me into a jerk. And you know, if I look even further down, like a year from this event when I actually started dating somebody else when I was a sophomore in high school, that it made me even into more of a liar, like more of a manipulator and someone who like I look back on and I, it's just filled with regret. When your identity is desperate enough, you feel like you could do almost anything to get that um, value, security, purpose, or joy. Um, And when our identity is in ourselves and our own achievements, we can fall into, and things are not looking good, we're falling short of those achievements. We get filled with a desire to prove. It's like, I have to prove myself. I have to do this. If I don't do this, you know, who am I? And maybe, you know, just maybe we get there for a little bit. And again, once we have it, we just have a fear to lose. Out of that desperation, out of that fear, 
is we become slaves to our false identities um, and to these lies. And if we place our identity and our achievements, we will miss the true lasting value, the lasting security, purpose, and joy that God has for us. And we will miss truly who we are and the fullness of life and who we're supposed to be. Uh, pastor and author Paul Tripp says, if you don't know who you are, you'll never be who you are supposed to be. And you'll never do what you've been called to do. So what does the Bible have to say about identity? You know, I'll save you a little bit of time. Um, NIV and ESV, the word identity appears zero times. Um, however, you know, we were talking about identity as who we are at the core of your being. The Bible has a ton to say about who does God say that you are. So we're going to jump back to that Romans 6 passage. We're going to go one verse ahead and a couple verses beyond. Um, starting in verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body, ruled by sin, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So we get a little bit of hope here. We can be set free from sin. We can be set free from this false identity. And we can kind of see in verse, um, uh, verse 7 you know, that anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Okay, that's kind of confusing. Who's died? In verse 8, we get a little bit more clarity. If we have died with Christ. So what does that mean, to die with Christ? It starts with stop trying to achieve your identity. Stop trying to prove your worth. Stop trying to prove your righteousness. To die with Christ begins with acknowledging, I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. I've fallen short. I've sinned. And alone, by myself, I'm not enough. But as we're going to look at shortly, in Christ, you are enough. Uh, for those of you who that don't know, tomorrow is Good Friday. And if any of you aren't familiar with um, what we celebrate on Good Friday, um, you know, 2,022 years ago, God took on flesh. He was born into this earth, and around 33 years later, he died. Um, and it was a tragedy, being crucified. We mourn it, but we also kind of celebrate it. Because Jesus came to this earth for one purpose, to live a perfect life without sin and to die. Because what we have earned from our sin, what we earn from our shortcoming is death, is a separation from God. But he didn't earn it because he didn't sin. And so because of that, his death was a sacrifice. It was a payment. So whoever believes that his death paid for their sins, that they don't have to pay the price themselves. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And he proved this point when he rose from the dead three days later, proving that death has no power. Death has no mastery over him. And as we look at in verse 5 of this passage, for we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Um, And so tomorrow is when we, you know, mourn his death. On Easter Sunday, we get to celebrate his resurrection because that is the life that we have in him. So in light of this truth, in light of this good news that through Christ's death and resurrection, we have the opportunity to know and be in relationship with God, what does God, or who does God, say that we are? I've compiled a list, a handful of verses that are just going to run through really quick of some different things that God says about you. Colossians 3.12. Also, I'm going to show a picture later with all of the verses, so if you're like scrambling for them down, don't worry. Um, Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You are dearly loved. Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. You are forgiven. In Ephesians 1.9, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. You've been adopted. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are made new. You're a new creation. Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have no condemnation Ephesians 1.3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ. That's pretty sweet. Um, You are blessed. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You are provided for. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You have a purpose. You are, cre- you are God's handiwork. Colossians 2.10, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. I really like how Jesus puts this in the book of John, um, that, uh, um, that he wants you to live life and live it to the fullest. You have been brought to fullness. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You are set free. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate uh, the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You are being transformed into his image. That's a sweet list. When I think about myself, that's what I want to think. I'm not sure if you guys noticed when I was reading through those, there was a pattern within those. God's chosen people in him, through Christ, in Christ, in Christ Jesus. It's a lot of in Christ. (laughs) 
So I want to go back to that same kind of diagram. I've, I've, I've tweaked it a little bit to make more sense grammatically. Now, but it used to say I am insert inferior identity, therefore I am insert false conclusion. Now we can say my identity is in Christ. Therefore, I am dearly loved, forgiven, a new creation, not condemned, blessed, provided for, God's handiwork, brought to fullness, set free, being transformed. Now, to be honest, there's a whole lot more. I couldn't fit it on the slide, so that's it. Um, and this is a lot to remember. You know, I'd encourage you to like pick one that really stands out to you. Um, but I think they can all be culminated in that my identity is in Christ, therefore I am enough. Therefore, I am enough. When you look to yourself for your identity, you have to achieve it. You have to prove you're enough. In Christ, your identity is given to you. When you accept Christ, when you believe him, you commit your life to him, you receive your new identity. So in that case, your identity is either achieved or it is received. Which one do you want? When you receive your identity, you are set free from sin. You don't have to carry the weight of proving yourself. You don't have to fight for being enough because God has already declared who you are. I want to clarify a couple things as we move on. Um, a lot of this is kind of hanging on in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? So I want to make sure we're all on the same page of what that means. We've already talked about a couple. You know, we've already talked about acknowledging your sin, acknowledging that um, by yourself you're not enough, that you need help or you need a savior. We've talked about believing that Christ is God in flesh, that he walked the earth, lived a perfect life, died for your sins, and that you can be made new, have a relationship with God by believing that's true. I want to look at one more thing in addition to those. We're going to jump down that same passage in Romans chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There it is again. Paul here is saying, yeah, I know. He's saying, I, I know you're used to having your achievements determine your identity. You're used to having your life or your lifestyle determine your identity. But instead of having your identity determined by your life, I want your identity to determine your life. That first your identity comes and declares who you are, and now live as that person. He continues to explain in verses 12 and 13. Um, I'm just going to read verse 11 as well. In the same way, count yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, you know. Why should we do this? I think first it's that you know. You've gone down that path and you know that you're not enough in that. You know that in your sin you will not be satisfied, that it overpromises 
and under delivers again and again. So why would you waste your time pursuing it? Second reason to not let sin reign in your mortal body, now I would say, is that returning to your old lifestyle is going to remind you of who you used to be. And it's going to remind you of the lies that you used to believe about yourself. And I'm not sure about you all, but for me, when I was a student, and even now, like, between the university, roommates, professors, the company I wanted to work for, um, maybe parents or social media or Netflix or whatever, there were so many things screaming at me. You're not enough. I didn't need to be another voice telling me that. And so do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Do not be another voice telling you not enough. A part of living in Christ is living the life that he wants you to live. And as you get to know him deeper, you'll see that this is the life you were made for. That the life he wants for you is the fullness of life. And it can be easy to kind of read these three verses in particular, the uh, Romans 6, 11 through 13, and think, okay, it seems like Paul like, wants me to live perfectly as a response. Um, Paul continues to explain in verses, uh, the second half of verse 13 and verse 14. I'm going to read the whole thing through again. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Here's the new part. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. I love that phrase, an instrument of righteousness. We got the musicians hanging out in the front row. Tell me, how beautiful does your instrument sound without you? Like by itself. Drums sound good, Isaiah? You need like a pretty strong wind to make them do something. But um, yeah, they don't sound like anything, you know? Um, that what, what, what God desires for us isn't, us isn't for us to say, I have this new identity and therefore, oh God, see how righteous I am. Come look at me. God wants us to present our life to him with open hands. He wants us to be his instrument that is used to display his glory. Our response should be, God, here I am. Here I am in my faults. Here I am in my gifts. Here I am. God, transform me. God, grow me. God, show me the life that I ought to live. Um, in Christ, our response is to give our life to God, to be used by him. And in the process of that, as we saw in that list of um, verses on our identity, in that process, he will transform us. He has promised that he will transform us into the image of his son. So this is, in my opinion, really exciting. Um, and when I think about, okay, how do I move on knowing this? Um, I honestly think the toughest part for me in keeping my identity 
solid in Christ is that when life gets tough, when I fail, when I'm exhausted, when I'm tempted or beaten down, sometimes it's hard to remember that my identity is in Christ. All those lies, all those temptations come back. And so I want to encourage you guys with this. In Colossians 3, 1 through 2, it says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. I'm going to include verse 3. For your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Our challenge is going to be remembering our identity all the time. So a couple of steps I think that will help to do this. The first is know your identity. Uh, I think uh, maybe a sub-step of that can be identify some lies that you tell yourself. Um, sometimes I know for me it's easy when um, to forget my identity when just everything else is telling me really loudly, no, you're this instead. So I identify those lies. It can help you to avoid them. The second thing is memorize a verse that tells you what your identity truly is. Now, if you're thinking we had a bunch of verses back there that I went through, um, we can switch to the, here. You guys can take a picture of this. Um, these are all the verses that I shared earlier, plus a couple more. I can give you guys a few seconds, but pick one of these that stands out to you that's really helpful that you connect with and memorize it. When we memorize scripture, God's word is always in our mind and it is ready to go when we need it the most. I'm looking like all the phones are going down. Sweet. Um, second thing, after no identity, the second thing, rehearse the truth. Um, and you can do this by spending daily time with God. Um, I'm not sure how many of you that is a habit, but I know for me, if I don't spend a little bit of time in the morning opening up the Bible and hearing from him, it is so easy for me to forget who I am in him. I'm going to say it again. Memorize a verse that tells you what your identity is. Um, and the third thing I'm going to suggest is associate something in your day with a reminder. Um, this could be something as simple as a sticky note on your laptop. So every time you open it, you can see, oh, my identity is in Christ. Or maybe it's putting a lock screen on your phone. Or maybe, you know, when you pray before every meal, actually think about, God, who am I in you? And this doesn't have to be some long thing. It doesn't even have to be a whole verse. It can honestly be um, what Bob said at spring break, for those of you who were there, that I am a beloved child of God. Maybe that's exactly what you need to hear. Third thing, cut out the lies. This may not be applicable for everyone, but for some of you, there may be a couple specific things going on in your life that really gives the lies a lot of leverage. And maybe you need to cut, cut them out. One thing that it could be, maybe it's dating. Maybe you were like me and your identity is what girls thought about you, or what your identity was what guys thought about you, and you just need to take a break from that to stop having those lies. Maybe it's social media. Maybe you're continually seeing other people's achievements, other people's goals, and it's just overwhelming you and you're falling into the comparison trap. Maybe you just need to take a break from that. Maybe you need to limit it to a certain amount of time a day. Maybe there's a club or extracurricular activity that you're a part of that you feel like you need to do because you just have to make your resume that much better because then you're going to be one step ahead of every other USC student that's thinking the same thing. 
you know, you probably don't need that. Or maybe you have a group of friends that you run with and they do not share the same values. They do not share the same beliefs in your identity and maybe it'd be helpful to spend a little less time with them. The fourth thing is gonna be surround yourself with people who will tell you the truth. Or in this case, who will tell you who you really are. I think being involved in challenge during the school year is an incredible opportunity to do this. But in a couple weeks, we're gonna be in summertime. And some of us may be going home to a place where we don't have a really good community. And so I encourage you guys to think about what is it gonna take for me to be involved in community? You know, do I have to reach out and like call a couple churches in the area or Google search a couple churches to figure out where are some places that have a young adult or a college ministry I could be a part of? Is it setting up a weekly call with your life group leader so that you have somebody who's encouraging you, somebody who's keeping you accountable? If you're gonna be in the LA area, did you think about signing up for Product Impact? I know the deadline was last week, um, but I hear Neil takes bribes. And you can thank him. Just kidding. Um, to sign up for Product Impact, like ask him, is it okay? I missed the deadline, I'm sorry. Um, you know, sin really wants us to feel like we're not enough, but we should be. But that is not the only choice we have because our identity is either achieved or received. And in Christ, our identity was the identity we were created to have, to experience the value, security, purpose, and joy from it. With that, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna welcome up the worship team back up. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the fact that we can know you, that through Christ we have the forgiveness of sins and the opportunity to be in relationship with you and God, that you know us and you ultimately satisfy us and give us our true identity. Lord, help us to see it and believe it and to remember it throughout the day. God, we thank you and praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platforms such as Spotify and Apple Music, even Amazon Music if you're so inclined that way. And you can also leave us a review so we can help get these resources into the hands of other people. We recorded this episode on a Thursday night gathering at the University of Southern California, and we'd love for you to join us if you're around the area. So get involved and find out more at USC Challenge on Instagram and on our website, uscchristianchallenge.com.